the majority of people don't trust themselves. And I'm not saying in the extreme or in the literal sense. Mm-hmm. There are times that we confront or deal with something that we're uncomfortable about or not knowledgeable enough about or reliant on somebody that we think has integrity. And it comes down to me trusting my decision or what I'm doing or not doing. You know, it's, it's actually, that, that was a pretty interesting chapter and the experience of writing it, having spoken to the people that I interviewed and some of the things I shared in that chapter kind of like are eye-opening. Welcome to the Brain and Branch Show. I'm your host, Timothy Maurice. Thanks so much for choosing this episode. Have you ever considered how your brain is designed both to rely on trust for survival, but also on the opposite side, while we lie in order to create the illusion of trust? Is it possible that you have an unhealthy relationship between trust and lying, one that could be destroying your career and personal life? Well, today, I'm delighted to explore the two-sided nature of trust with Jeffrey Meschel, the author of Trust is a Double-Edged Sword. Trust me. Jeffrey, welcome. How are you? I'm doing terrific. Thank you. Appreciate the invite. Yeah, thank you so much. Where are you in the world right now? I'm in South Beach, Florida. Miami Beach. Oh, lovely, lovely. We we have listeners across, you know, sort of spread throughout the world. And I can imagine most of them would love to be where you are at the moment. <laughs> I I want to thank you up front for pouring your heart into this body of work. I, I can imagine um, it wasn't easy, especially with the demands on your schedule. So thank you. I can't wait to share it with the audience. But before we do, we have a fun feature called Inside the Mind, where we ask you, seven questions for our audience to get to know you. Can we do it? I'm ready. All right, let's do it. Smiling or laughing? Smiling. Horseback riding or surfing? Horseback riding. Wisdom or knowledge? Wisdom. Teaching or learning? Learning. Hot chocolate or a chocolate smoothie? Hot chocolate. Ooh, you're going through these really well. You're handling this too easy. I should have made the question a little bit more difficult. Number six, Airbnb or hotel? Hotel. All right. If this this one doesn't stump you, then I'm going to rethink my whole strategy. Number seven, final question, trust or truth? Good question. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> truth. Awesome. Well, you did write a book about truth. So perfect. Now. So thank you so much for joining us on Inside the Mind. My first question for you, you wrote a book about trust. Do you ever tell small lies? Of course. <laughs> and what role do small white lies play in a relationship with trust? You know, the reality is everybody lies. You ever see the movie Liar, Liar with Jim Carrey? It's yeah, yeah, very yeah, funny, yeah. Very, very yeah, funny yeah. film. But, I'll, you know, I actually address that in the book and I talk about, I actually tested myself. I wanted to see how many white lies, you know, I would do in a week. And, uh, you know, an example would be, my wife's good friend came over and she turned to me and I just got these new shoes. 
aren't they really nice? And I, and I, I thought they were really ugly, honestly. And I said, <laughs> oh, yes, they're really nice. Now, I could have said, gee, I think they're really ugly, maybe hurt her feelings. Alternatively, I chose to give a white lie. Those are examples. That's an example. You know, we have these sure. situations where, you know, we are in a situation, try to avoid uh, embarrassment or saying something that would hurt someone's feelings or don't want to confront something. And categorically, everybody does that at some point. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine, you know, if you really think about it, you know, at some point, you know, do you think do you think that the lion sometimes builds trust and, you know, when people reflect and they do a retrospective, have you ever had moments or in your research discovered where someone goes, thanks for lying because I couldn't handle the truth then? And I see that you had empathy for me. I mean, those are outlier things that could occur. It's okay. more, you know, a rare type of situation that, that that's applicable. Uh, you know, a key word for me is something called integrity. And that, yes. that, and so, you know, trust and integrity are contiguous. And it, it, integrity to me is one of the, is the most important attribute, one of, that we could have. Got it. You know, trust and truth are like siblings. You know, in pre preparation for this interview, I looked up the old English origins of these words and I discovered that, well, let me just give you the original meanings of these two words and let's see if you can tell the difference or you can tell me which one is trust and which one is truth, okay? So to believe faithful is one definition. Another definition is having or characterized by good faith. Both of these original definitions have faith in them. Which one is truth and which one is trust? Uh, can you repeat them again? I'm sorry, because you said them. All right, cool. So one definition, the original definition dating back to the 1200s, to believe, faithful. The second one is having or characterized by good faith. First one's trust. Got it. You nailed it. You know, it's funny because when I was thinking about, you know, your work and how well you you don't, you know, you really went into your work, I was like, I was even thinking it before you told the story. I was just sort of opening the book up because I had heard you on other podcasts and so forth. You know, tell us a little bit about the psychopath and the moment that inspired you to write this book. You know, sometimes there are traumatic things that happen in your life that are kind of wake up calls. And, um, you know, my stupidity, and I'll use that word harshly because I really feel mad at myself. I trusted someone implicitly who I knew a long time, but I used the word implicitly. And this is my ex-partner. Um, and I knew him for 20 years. And there were all the, as time went by, there were all these bizarre signs. Now, he was very helpful to me. I went through a really bad divorce. And during that time period, I also broke up with another partner. He was beyond supportive, which built my trust and belief in him. Albeit, things were happening from him on a personal level, things I heard with other people, bizarre stuff over a long period of time. And I chose to ignore it. Or if I asked him a question in regard to that, he'd give me an answer, which was a lie, and I accepted it as truth. As time went on, things got worse and worse. And I heard all these bizarre things. And then I discovered um, that he was a thief. 
that he had uh, fake names, fake email addresses, that he was a forger. Um, he did malicious things to people. Uh, he sabotaged and he, he ran day-to-day -day operations of my company. I had to shut my company down in two, 2019. I was the majority partner. I was also on the board of the bank that had a lot of bank accounts, which is Signature Bank in New York. So I was able to get him off everything. And it was so unbelievably extreme, the horrible things that he did, uh, that if you saw me then, my hands were shaking because my blood pressure went way up. And I became reflective. And I started thinking to myself how stupid I was. There were so many obvious things that were wrong. You know, one quick example, if you Google his name, it's David Kushner, Boca, bad guy. He uh, had a fake name. He went after a basketball coach because his son wasn't getting playing time. He created a fake email address and sent threatening emails to the coach, the coach's wife, and bad emails to the school to get him fired. I don't know what the email said, but that coach went to the local police and they traced the email to David Kushner's house and he and his wife got arrested. It was on the cover wow. of a, a, a newspaper. It was on talk shows. And I approached him about it and he, he, he lied. I would never do that. And he did it multiple times. He did to me also. So I stood there and I got really mad at myself. And I said, you know something? I was irresponsible. I'm, I'm paying the price now. And I started to think about this word trust. And I really started really marinating. I looked out my window. I was in New York City at the time. And I said, you know what? Trust in this country, in the world, is at all-time lows. There's such distrust about everything and everybody. And that fuels hatred and separation and prejudice and these extreme movements that do these insane things. And, you know, it's, it's so incredibly bad. So I did, I started doing massive research and I covered all the spectrum of so many aspects of trust. And I realized trust is probably is not probably is the most important thing that we need to be conscious of. And I wrote this book to create an awareness to help people. And people have come to me and said, this book has changed their lives. It really opened their eyes. I mean, I, it certainly opened mine and I married it, you know, or, or overlaid it with my research in the brain. And if you think about why the brain is hardwired for trust is for survival. We need to know if we're faced with a imminent threat that the people around us would get our back. Right. But at the same time, the brain is filled with mystery, ambiguity. We are uncertain about certain things. It's, it's why poetry is so beautiful at times. It's, it helps us solve for the fact that we don't know certain things. We can't explain certain feelings. We just don't understand the certain magic we are experiencing or the doubt we can't put a label on. You know, how do we navigate this dynamic of, on the one side, being hardwired for trust, but at the same time, having all these mysteries in our mind and uncertainties? Well, um, a former president, who well, candidly in my current view, was the last great president that we had in this country. Ronald Reagan said it, trust, but verify. I'm never giving mm. up trust. I, I, my nature is to trust. I want to trust. I want to believe in people. I want to believe in things. The difference between then and now is I just don't take things for granted and I'm much more circumspect about trust. And, and it goes beyond just people and their relationships. I mean, the second chapter of the book is, should I buy when I'm sold? And it talks about all these <laughs> products that are marketed to us with fallacious representations. Some funny, some very not funny at all, very severe stuff. And so the gamut of trust, it covers, it covers everything. And it's something we really have to think more about. Yeah, I mean, 
behavioral psychology is all about manipulating people, reframing. Let me just read. Let me let me shift what I just said. It's not all about manipulating, but it is about kind of engineering perspective. And one of the things as I was reading through the book, I started to kind of go back and forth with is and tussle with is trusting myself. And you you explore this in the book. You know, when we're so uncertain about so much and you can just feel the vibration in your body going one direction, but your mind's going another direction. How do you start to navigate that space? How do you reconcile? How do you fight through it to start trusting yourself? You know, it's, it's actually, that, that was a pretty interesting chapter and the experience of writing it, having spoken to the people that I interviewed and some of the things I shared in that chapter kind of like are eye-opening. You know, I would argue that everybody, uh, not everybody, the majority of people don't trust themselves. And I'm not saying in the extreme or in the literal sense. There are times that we confront or deal with something that we're uncomfortable about or not knowledgeable enough about or reliant on somebody that we think has integrity that, you know, and, you know, I make, I have to make a decision and it comes down to me trusting my decision or what I'm doing or not doing. And, you know, that diffidence at times borders on not trusting yourself. Uh, It's a very interesting thing. And it's something to really think about, you know, I talk about, People that hurt themselves, you know, 65% of our population is obese. You know, I would argue that we know, I forget what the physicality and what we look like. It, it's unhealthy. You're, you know, heart attack, fatty liver disease, diabetes. You know that you're putting yourself in harm's way. You know you're, you're, you're potentially killing yourself, yet you don't stop. You know, I argue that person doesn't trust themselves. A psychiatrist disagreed with me and I share that story. She said to me, oh, you're totally <laughs> wrong. I said, can you explain why? Oh, that's there because they're addicts. I said, oh, I got it. So I become an addict. That means I trust myself to become an addict. Is that what you're telling me? I said, I think I'm not going to debate with you. So, you know, the dimension of trust is very wide and it covers so many things in our lives. I would say if you really trust yourself, you're going to want to do the best things for yourself. Take care of yourself. I just shared with you before. I went to the gym for two hours this morning. I go, yeah. I work out six days a week. Why do I do that? A, I feel good. It keeps me in good shape. It keeps me healthy. I'm trying to nourish myself and I'm trying to make myself stronger, not weaken myself, put myself in harm's way. Yeah. Do you find yourself still, you know, at this stage of after written a book, after going through all the things you've gone through, even in your childhood that you've explored in the book as well, do you still lie to yourself to make yourself feel better? I would ladder myself. Was Do you still lie to yourself to make yourself feel better? Um, that's an interesting question. I don't really think I lie to myself. I think, I mean, I want to address something and I'll kick the can, which is the case in point with my ex-partner. You know, I, I didn't lie to myself. I felt uncomfortable and I was, I was remiss. I was negligent. Um, you know, if you do things that are severe to yourself, drugs to the degree where you're, you know, you're really putting yourself in harm's way, or, you know, you drink way too much where you're falling down, you hit your head. Oh, I, I don't get drunk. Then you're lying to yourself where you're going to hurt yourself and you're just not recognize, recognizing things what they are. You know, I, I lied to myself, I guess, to the extent that I accepted, you know, a, a very bad person. Even in my first marriage, I had a horrible first marriage and I kept kicking the can um and and lying to myself you know all right i'm gonna get by life's not a dress rehearsal 
it goes by mm-hmm. quick. I still think yeah. I'm 20, which I'm not, you can tell by the gray hair. And I sat back <laughs> and said to myself, I want to have a smile on my face. I want to be healthy. I want to spend time with people that I are that I care about, that are sincere, that I know they really care about me and I care about them. And I want to make a difference. I wrote this book. I wrote this book to make a difference. Yeah. You know, it's when I think about and I, I'm going to keep coming back to the brain, because if you think about one of the most contentious issues in the medical field right now is just how powerful the placebo effect is. You know, the ability to offer someone a fake pill and tell them a story about the pill and what they're experiencing and how it can heal the brain. I've had a number of authors on the show exploring this idea. And, you know, if you think about, should we even trust doctors knowing that our brains are so vulnerable that if you tell us a story, we can feel better, we can even heal with a fake pill. And so this dynamic between trust and how we know our egos are wired. If you know someone is wired in a particular way where they are likely to feel better and to heal, you know, this dynamic can get in the way of trust is the point. And I want to just explore that with you for a moment. That at the end of the day, should I trust, maybe you actually answered it early when you talked about integrity. Maybe it's maybe that's it. And maybe I'm going down a rabbit hole that's not necessary. But let me just put it to you. If I know, if the doctor knows that my brain is so wired to take something that's not going to be good for me, that they end up giving me a placebo and that actually helps me, somewhere in the middle of that, I should almost should I trust the medical field when I know that this sort of experiment on me in the middle of the gaps of what I think versus what's best for me? Well, you, you, you framed the question relative to the medical field. And, you know, I would argue that for the most part, I imagine there are exceptions like there are to everything. There is a integral bond with an individual that becomes a, a doctor or someone that is, is a caring human being to help other people. You know, the path to success varies depending on circumstances. To the, ex- the example you gave, your brain's a very powerful thing. It works to your advantage or it can work to your disadvantage. In the, in the hypothetical situation you explained, maybe by the placebo idea would make that person more healthy because that doctor evaluated with his knowledge, experience, or her knowledge, her experience, as to how to handle this particular situation, made a call. That's the integrity of what they do. Integrity, going back to the word, I don't know, there was a spec. Do you watch 60 Minutes at all? I do, yes. Well, last, yesterday I had a segment on 9-11, light of, it was 9-11. And it, it was actually a very interesting segment. And it, it really went into about a lot of the firemen. 343 firemen were killed that day. And they, you know, they talked and they played their, their recordings and their transmissions. And these guys knew going up to those buildings. One guy came down, went into the other building, and when it collapsed, said Congress, knew that building was going to go down, and he did it anyway because the integrity of who they are and what they did was more important than their own persona. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I mean, that's that's beautifully said. Thank you. You know, we're going to get into, you've got, you know, you got 10 trust commandments, you've got, trust warning signals and so forth before we go there though i want to talk about ego and beauty but let's start with ego 
Um, you know, optimism, bias, bias for our own experience and ego can really get in the way of trust. Unpack a little bit of what you shared in the book here about the ego. Well, well you know, it's something we really don't think so much about. And so that's why I addressed it in the book. You know, physicality, ego, um, they're, they're tools. They're things that guide us uh, in terms of either our decisions, what we do, and no less what we think of ourselves. Ego is a dangerous thing. You know, ego, where it becomes um, the driving force of the way you conduct yourself and the way you do things can be, you know, destructive because it's about me, me, me. And I share stories and, and examples about how that really can be extremely detrimental. And, you know, there, there's no dearth of them. You know, if you look at the political landscape, you know, Donald Trump has two major issues. One is his ego, huge ego, and the other side is his insecurity. He's he's mm. sick on both sides. Now, if he only spoke well and did things the right way, he 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 would have stood out and really cap. He would have won the last election. But his ego, you know, to demean people, it's 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 so it's dumb. So your ego is a very dangerous thing, and it could either work to your advantage or to your disadvantage. On the physicality side, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. That's the name of that chapter, right? So yeah. It, it's, it's obviously, if you're a very attractive person, you, you're inclined to get more higher salary. You are, you know, more revered by people. You know, obviously, you you're attract people to you because of the way you look. Doors open up. All sorts of advantages happen. But where does it work against you? Where does it, you know, potentially become a problem? And I cite, you know, I, the Me Too movement. You know, I, in New York City, I know for a fact that CEOs of companies are very less inclined to hire a very attractive receptionist than one that's not only because they're gravely concerned about the possibility of an allegation of the me too movement it doesn't matter whether it's true or not an allegation you're guilty by association so there are pluses and negatives to everything and it's sure. just stuff we just don't think about yeah I, I like i really enjoy how you shared cases anecdotes your own personal story and you built up to these two big moments at the end of the book where you share 10 trust commandments and, you know, we're not going to give it all because I really want people to go out and buy this book, but, you know, share one of your favorite trust commandments. Mine was do not forsake trust. <laughs> Hopefully that wasn't yours. Well, you know, it's, it's like, again, forsaking integrity, you know, the, don't forsake integrity, your word and your math, what you say and what you do. Is a reflection of who you are. Um, yep. The one thing that really, the, the number one thing, which I've learned the hard way again, you know, the mistakes, your gut feeling, your visceral sense, do not go against your gut feeling. Your gut feeling, nine nine point nine times out of ten, is spot on. Every time you have a funny feeling and you ah, uh, you know, you push it away or you make an excuse, or, you know. Um, you're probably making a mistake. I'll share one quick story in that regard, because you know the funny part about this book, writing it taught me. I taught. I hear I'm trying to share things that are so important to all our lives, and I was learning so much by doing wow. all the work and studying it. I walked away. That statement I just made, case in point. I'm a real estate guy. I buy buildings. I operate. I have a you know a bunch of different properties. My new company. It's we've done a lot. And I was buying a property in, in a place called Lakeland, Florida, 
and I'd be buying a lot of medical. This one had medical and government in it. And we were ready to go, ready to close it, raise all the money, bank set up. The only thing I didn't do yet, I didn't do a site inspection. So my partner and I drive up, we stay overnight, we get there early in the morning, and I walk onto the property. And I had really good, I had good leases with good medical tenants. I had government tenants. I didn't love government tenants. And right away, I noticed that the parking lot was not busy at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Monday. And I had a coffee company that was a tenant, but it wasn't a tenant in the property. It was a coffee truck. That bothered me. I went over and I asked him a couple of questions. You know, and, he saw, and then there was one of my big tenants that was there. It was a company called DeVita. They're in the kidney dialysis. Business. Great company. Mm-hmm. I walk in. They were closed that day. Turns out they were only open three days a week. To cut the short story, story story shorter i went around the property three four times and i turned to my partner and i said we're, kill, we're killing the deal and he looks at me and said what we're ready to go you know we we, we have uh the financing we got the money we, we're, we're in the hole for seventy thousand dollars he says i'm killed we're killing the deal and i walked wow i would have in the past I would have rationalized away my my feelings I didn't like. I yeah, but, eh, well, it's Davida, they got a lease, they're not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. I would okay, it's not that busy on a Monday, but the, I, I know myself. I in the past I would have my gut feeling would not have controlled my decision. And I walked from the deal. And my investors thanked me after I explained it to them. Amazing. If someone has trust issues, what can they do? This is part of your trust warning signals. Somebody has trust issues. What are some signs they have trust issues, number one? And then what can they do? When you say they have trust issues, why don't you define what that means? I mean, trusting other people or trusting themselves or both? Yeah, well, trusting themselves or trusting both. Actually, let's start with trusting other people. If you struggle to trust other people and you're listening now, let's talk to them. That's interesting because some people, I know people that say to me, I trust nobody. I never trust anything. You know, I, you're not going to convince them to think differently. Um, it's it's um, uh, they probably have had very bad experiences. And for whatever reason, they're just negative about everybody. But they're probably also very unhappy in their lives. and They live in a closet because they're not being open. That's not the way to go. It's just like the, the way to go is to be smarter about your decisions and who you do trust and to be open minded about learning about the knowledge of what makes sense and doesn't make sense. And in regard to trusting yourself, you know, you, you, you've got to get smarter about yourself. You got, you got, you got to learn by experience and you don't defy when you don't know something. I don't know. And I, you know what, I'm not going to make a decision and be forced to do something that I'm uncomfortable because I'm not, I'm not confident enough for this particular scenario to make a decision. That's not a hard thing to come grip. It, but it is a something that's a, it's a it's a I think a good way to, to approach it. My final question to you is, I mean, like you said, you learned. You've learned a lot by writing this book, you've grown a lot by writing this book. But what is the what is one thing that you when you reflect back on after all that you've been through, all of the you almost lost everything because of a psychopath and trusting a psychopath. What is one of the biggest things you've done? that has helped you regain trust in people? I never lost trust in people. It's just not okay. who I am. And I don't want to lose trust in people. In fact, it's so important to me because my instincts, my nature is I embrace, I don't push away. 
the difference now is I just think a lot more about it. I'm more careful. Uh, I listen. Um, I don't go against my gut feeling. I do not, which is so important. And I'm much more conscious of what you need to be smart about. I, you know, one of the Ten Commandments. I talk about social media. Social media is a very dangerous thing. You know, it's a, a incredible. It's wherewithal, but at the same time, it can be extremely destructive. And there's no shortage of stories, as we can see how it can really hurt you. I tell people be very careful about what you post on social media. Divorce attorneys look when they take on a case. The first thing they do is look at what's on social media about both people, because that becomes fodder for them in, in a proceeding. So there's all the things you learn, and but you got to trust your judgment. You got to be smart about what you do. And I will never forsake trust. In fact, I'm probably more trusting now than I was before. <laughs> but I'm smarter about it. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate you writing this book. People can go to Amazon and order it wherever you are in the world. Jeffrey Meshel, thank you so much for joining us on the Brain and Brand Show. Truly my pleasure. Thank you for having me.